Hey everyone, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by CraneShares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. How hot is the U.S. labor market? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Extended Daily Briefing. With me today is Julian Brigden, co-founder of MI2 Partners. Hey, Julian. It's great to see you. Hello, Maggie. Thanks for having me back on the show. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while since we had you on the Daily Briefing. We pulled you away for Ralph for the day. I love it. (laughs) Before we, uh, you probably love it too. Before we jump into into the show. Uh, just a reminder to everyone. So it's an hour today. The second half of the show is for Real Vision members. So if you want to stay with us, scan the QR code and sign up. So Julian, um, if we take a look, U.S. markets just closed. The action was pretty muted today. I mean, we we're in a holiday week, you know, so yeah, that's not surprising. Yeah. We saw stocks sell off a little bit. Treasury yields climb a little bit after the release of the FOMC minutes from the last meeting showed, you know, consistent, right? Uh, Fed members saying they expect more hikes. How are you thinking about the U.S. economy and outlook for rates right now? Oh, so it's I'm definitely more in the sort of storm clouds of gathering, Maggie, and certainly would look as though they were being gathering steadily in uh, the sort of first half of the year. So if you look at three things in particular, the first one is uh, clearly we have a big inventory cycle going on in manufacturing globally, right? Manufacturing is definitively in a recession. The second one is we have uh, tightening credit. Um, that's being slow to manifest itself. It always is pretty slow to manifest itself. But when you kind of look at the regional bank stuff, when you look at the anecdotes that we're getting, when you look at demand for credit, those are all beginning to tighten. And the third one, and perhaps the most unpredictable, uh, is the housing market. And I'm being in the camp that I don't expect anything like sort of 08, 09. I just think that we built an awful lot of houses uh, since COVID to accommodate this sort of great migration. And they we're just not going to build as many going forward. And as that rate of change starts to slowly turn over, that in itself uh, is usually a relatively recessionary uh, effect. Now, fast forward, and I think we have a bit of a dilemma. And let me explain. I believe in this effect called hyperfinancialization, and it's a term that we use at MI2 to describe the feedback loop between the real economy and the financial markets, and particularly the equity market, Maggie. So if I said to you, which one comes first, which is the chicken, which is the egg? Um, Is it the the market that's the chicken, uh, or is it the real economy that's the chicken? You'd probably say, well, you know, the real economy should set inflation, that should set bond yields. The real economy should set employment, that should set, uh, you know, company sales, et cetera, et cetera. So you'd think logically that the real economy comes first. That is not the case in the US. If you actually look at everything, stocks lead pretty much most things. And that actually creates a bit of a problem. And that is that 
we are seeing some weakness. I think we're seeing some weakness now. But there is a risk that this rebound in equities that we've seen, which I think is purely a mechanical function of liquidity, nothing what to do whatever with fundamentals. I know this will, this will rile up a lot of the equity guys will be saying, yeah, but you know, and look, don't get me wrong, certain, you know, within the equity market, certain sectors will outperform, but the broad level of the US market cap is set purely by liquidity. But the risk is, is this rebound in equities actually could lead to further strength in the second half of the year. So mm. this sort of, we end up with this transitory, and I hate to use that phrase, right? The transitory weakness that we're starting to see in manufacturing, maybe we'll see it in services uh, this week for MySim services. And I think there's a good chance we might see it from employment, but that is actually transitory. And then the net result, I think, is the Fed will be re-accelerating tightening if we're not careful in the second, you know, as we move into 2024 and 2025. And because I just do not believe that we can allow this equity market to continue to rally. I know Raul in particular thinks it does, but I'm, I'm absolutely convinced if this equity market continues to show strength, the bond market is going to crash again. We're going to put another, well, in the belly of the curve, in sort of that two to five year sector where we've got such aggressive rate cuts price, Maggie, mm. we could easily add 100 basis points on there, you know, and, and 50 to 75 at the long end. Um, Which is if, crazy. If, it would just, you know, continue to add to this volatility. We've seen so much volatility correct. in bonds, which is a lot of people aren't used to that. Typically, you don't expect that and you're not looking for that when you're in bonds. No, absolutely. And also, you'd be expecting some response function from the equity market. And I think, as I said, when you step back and you look under the surface of the indexes, you can see, you can see certain sectors are really winning, certain sectors are really losing. We really have an equity market if you want of the haves and haves not. But the problem is if that broad market, equity market doesn't go, I think financial conditions remain too loose and bonds will have to go again. And that's just going to do, I hate to say, ultimately more underlying damage to the real economy. Because I know certain people don't think it matters anymore. But it does matter where you finance your mortgage. It is going to matter, you know, if you're going to try and buy a new car and the finance rate is 10%. Oh, oh it's, it's terrible. I mean, you, you, there are a lot of people, just anecdotally, I think we all know that. Right. A lot of people are feeling that in many different places. Forget about individuals and cars, also small right. businesses, right? Small right. medium businesses with those loans. It's brutal. Yeah, I mean, a buddy of mine who, uh, who runs a quite interesting credit business, um, just did some sort of uh, phantom shopping. And I think he's got a FICO score in, his, in the upper 700s and his boss has got one in the low 800s. And they went to one of these wholesale lenders, like Lending Tree or one of these guys, and they asked for between three and five year borrowing. And the rates they got quoted were 24, 22 to 24%. Wow. Because he said it just means that they have, these guys have no access to credit anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that, you know, all right, they've got good credit. I don't know how much they were asking for, but, you know, you've got to imagine it's even worse if you're asking for a sub, subprime car loan now, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's out of, re it puts it out of reach Correct. Um, for, for a lot of people. Let me ask you, uh, so there's, there's a lot in there. Let me ask you about this financialization of, mm -hmm 
uh, of the economy, of the American right. economy, because that's super interesting. And it's a particularly American thing. Do you think that is because so many people's pensions are tied up in 401s? Why, why do you, or is it, because you'll know that there are some people who are paycheck to paycheck. They're not probably in the investing class. Right. So why, why does it have that much of an impact? So I think, look, the wealth effect really, which is what you're talking about. You know, if, you, if you're wealthy enough, you've got some stocks, you look at your 401k, particularly if you've locked your mortgage in, what's the Fed doing to me? I mean, it, you literally, this is, goes back to this, like we talked about the haves and have not in the corporate sector, you've got this in the broad economy. As you said, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're having to finance yourself on credit cards, you need to, you, your credit isn't that great, you need to buy a car, then, you know, this is really hurting. If you're wealthy, you've got a bunch of stocks, and you locked in your mortgage at under 3%, what's the Fed done to me? Nothing. And touch me. I'm up, right? I'm up. Now, so that wealth effect is definitively one, but I think actually the bigger element of hyper-financialization is the response function of CEOs. And I think this is a damning in, uh, indictment, frankly, of the whole system. We have a system now that rewards CEOs for doing one thing and one thing only, and that is to be shepherds of their equity price. Yep. Um, and they are literally only paid to keep pushing up their stock price. I mean, up until very recently, you know, and this is why Kathy Wood did well, you weren't even rewarded for making a profit. You were penalized for making a profit, right? You just want to keep that momentum going in your equity price. So the only thing that truly elicits a behavioral response from these guys is when their stock price goes down. And unless you get their stock price down, they don't drop their CapEx spending, they don't drop employment, and the correlations between certain metrics in the labor market and the uh, equity market, with the equity market leading by you know, three months, are in the 90s, Maggie, are in the 90s. So the bottom line is, if, and you can see it. If you, there's a couple of great websites, um, one called like layoff.ie or something, and they do one where they look at the tech sector and they look at tech layoffs. Now, we know that that was in the news at the beginning of this year. We were seeing a ton of layoffs uh, in the tech sector. Um, but why was that? Well, we hammered the equity market into December of last year. When did those tech layoffs peak? January. And what have they done subsequently? As the equity market has rallied, they've fallen. And I just do not believe that we've done enough damage, unfortunately, to this labor market to get the Fed where they need to be. I don't care what headline inflation does. You could drop headline inflation to zero tomorrow. And I know that the equity boys would go, hurrah, that's it. We're all done, right? Oh! The problem is, in a hyper-financialized environment, if that is the case, your equity market will remain strong, your labor market will remain strong, which means your nominal GDP will remain strong because pretty much take-home pay, you know, how many people are employed, how many hours they're working, is kind of nominal GDP. So even if your nominal GDP at the moment is seven, Maggie, so even if your inflation goes down to zero, if your nominal GDP means, remains at seven, that means your real growth has to go to seven. 
and we're not an emerging market, we can't support 7% real GDP growth, which is four times trend. And all that will happen is your labor markets will try and tighten again. And at 3.7% unemployment, we can't do that. And so what will happen is the Fed will be, see your, you'll see all your headline rates drop and your core will remain exactly where it is. Mm. And people aren't looking at this, but if you take Powell's service inflation, which he's talked a lot about, right? He looks at service inflation, X shelter, and it's dropped. Why is it dropped? energy. Mm -hmm. It's just base effects from energy. And if you look at service inflation X energy, it's still six and a half percent. They haven't addressed this at all. So this whole inflation's going away. It's all going to be great, right? A, inflation's going to base in the next month or so and bounce a little bit, not a huge amount, but it is definitely going to bounce that deflation impulse is kind of done because it is just energy. And secondly, even if inflation drops, if you do not weaken this labor market and get growth down, and as it is at the moment, equities are too strong for you to do that, the risk is growth will, real growth will accelerate. As we just saw in the last quarter, for example, and you can't do that with 3.7% unemployment without stoking core inflation. And the Fed will just be simply raising rates or draining even more liquidity out of the system in the second half of the year. Just a quick moment to remind you, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash KRBN. Now back to today's analysis. That's so interesting, Julian. I think you made you made a really, really important point about about the CEO behavior, and it's something that we don't hear a lot about. You hear it in leadership conversations. I've had a lot of CEOs tell me that that dynamic, even even if they're benefiting from it, that right. focus on share price, on equity price, means that it, they only play the short game, right? It's very hard to invest and play the long game when you're doing that. So from a from a sort of you know organizational or or leadership position that has an issue. But in terms of that being part of the financialization, because you look, I just, while we were talking and we were talking about whether it's 401, you Google this and it comes up all the time. Okay. It says 60% on a quick Google of Americans hold some sort of stock, but there's another yep. stat that I pulled up just now. 1%, the 1%, top tier 1% hold 53% of stocks. The bottom 50 hold six tenths of stocks. Right. So when you think about that, you're like, what wealth effect? And I, that's the pushback you get on that argument. Well, I mean, you look at it from the CEO lens, right. that's the, a totally, that's a different, even though they're probably I agree. I agree. The, totally the, different what, situation. The big one, obviously, which is pretty heavily correlated to uh, equities though, is house prices, right? So, and that's the one that most people hold, right? So I, I totally concur. Most stocks are owned by a tiny minority of people. and They all live in much bigger places than mine in Vale here behind me, um, you know, in their $40 million homes. Um, you know, so it's so that's absolutely true. But house prices, yes, we've seen some slight reduction, but we haven't really seen that much. Right. You know, in actual house prices remain absolute level still really, you know, really, really high. Uh, we haven't seen defaults there. We haven't seen anything yet. So this, this kind of, 
the thing that I'm really struggling with, Maggie, and I, and I, I, I do think we, we are probably facing a period of, of, of weakness, but this concept that we can have this immaculate recession, yeah. that we can somehow have no landing, and I'm hearing it again. Oh, yes, it's back. Right? It's, it's back. back. We did it in January, right? January and February. What happened in March? The bond market puked. And I am telling people now, if the data does not drop and if the equity market, now I'm quite skeptical on the equity market right here, right now, right? Because I do think it's very high, you know, versus relative underlying liquidity in the system. But if those do not back off, this bond market is going again. You think that's out there in the universe at all? I don't. So. Does it feel think, contrary in that? that yeah, that it does a little bit. I mean, I think it's something that the bond guys have been, you know, it's very much consensus. You know, we did a trip and, I, you know, I was part, I guess, of the consensus. I just, it just looked to me that people had got far too aggressive in their bets. As soon as SVB came along, the mm -hmm. bond boys went, right, all on black, right? This thing is done. It's broken. We're going. We're going into recession. I'm betting everything. And of course, it didn't happen in part because the Fed introduced more liquidity in the system and the equity market went bump, straight up, right? And, uh, you know, we're in this tug of war between bond and equities, and we're at one of those points again where it is unsustainable right here, right now, Maggie. Mm. I see your questions coming in, everyone, and we are going to get to them. I, I just I just want to sort of fill in a little bit because um, we're an hour today, so we have time. I just want to, I just want to, make sure we get sort of Julian's view on everything. So I think one of the things that's hard, so you mentioned before that stocks, this is a mechanical function based mm -hmm. on liquidity that's driving stocks up. And I think that people hear that, they understand that, and they're super interested in that because we get a lot of questions. We just had questions on it in the academy sessions that mm -hmm. we did earlier, which is on the platform, everyone. But then they grapple with, this larger technology narrative, right? That we're all sort of slammed into us with AI, but it's not only AI, it's sort of all the exponential. I know you and Raul talk about this all the time in your monthly macro insider uh -huh, shows. Uh -huh. Raul recently, recently sat down with Jordi Visser, uh, the CIO of Weiss Multi-Strategy Advisors. And they had a very interesting take on, on that sort of, that issue. Let's have a listen to that clip and we'll talk on the other side. So we increase money in a way that is just unprecedented, which we all know. And so we end up getting a move. No one thinks there's going to be inflation, but we print so much money that people start spending it from their couch and this goes on. We get inflation. I think we're still in the after effects of that, which make it feel because of inflation last year and because of everything that we're still in this traditional economic cycle. And so everyone's calling for recessions and everyone's going through it at a time when what I believe is happening is we're going through all that excess money where we raised rates incredibly fast and that'll slow the economy down and get it back. It'll get us not to have the problems that we had with inflation. It might take another two, three years to get all of that burping out of the system from the hangover of all the money. But at the same time that that's going on, the, num the most important innovation that's happened during my life, um, for sure, because of the ubiquity of it overnight, is artificial intelligence. And so I have this belief as I did in 2014 that the future is where we used to make investments on a 20 year viewpoint. 
that was in a linear world and we are now in an exponential world to where we don't know what solutions AI will come up with. We don't know what, you know, what it'll do to energy demand, energy supply and new solutions. But I've kind of come to the decision that anyone thinking about, well, one year ago, that one year from now, there'll be a recession. I, I just don't think that matters anymore. And so my overall viewpoint is that productivity is the number one story because of AI. And with productivity is going to mean we're going to need less people and less hour work to generate the same GDP. And that to me is a very powerful story for equities. And it's a very powerful story for inflation to come down faster than what people probably think. Uh, and that's where I kind of am on things. Not an optimist. I just think we're in a point where those are the number one things. Productivity boom from AI. Super interesting. That full interview, by the way, is on the platform, as are all of Julian and Ralph's macro insider shows. I like to call them sparring sessions, uh, which air on, because that's kind of what they are, but that's why they're so good. They air on our pro tier. So if you're not a Real Vision member or you want to upgrade, uh, scan the QR code and you can hit the link for information on how to do that. So Julian, I was, I was, I thought that was so interesting. Recession doesn't matter. It's all about productivity. What, what's your thought on that? Um, look, productivity is definitively a huge structural driving force, right? We've been, I've got absolutely no uh, contest with that at all. You know, I like to, to go back and spend time looking at history and there's a couple of great papers that the Bank of England wrote about deflation and bond yields or disinflation, not deflation, disinflation. So falling prices in a growth environment as opposed to deflation, which is falling prices in a stagnant environment. And uh, they basically highlighted how we've been in a disinflationary world for 400 years, right? Now, you know, if you look at, because we've had technological advances, Maggie, and we've pushed them right across things. And, you know, the advent of airplanes, the advent of cars, the advent of internal, you know, uh, steam engines and clipper ships and all of this, the telegraph and all this sort of stuff, right? Now, don't get me wrong, I think AI has that potential, right? I think AI definitively, and I think it could be quite unpleasant in many respects, right? At least the initial phase. Because this, you know, unlike some of these inventions that were very narrowly focused, this can be applied to quite a cross-section of, of, uh, of the economy, right? Quite a broad cross-section of the economy. Um, so I think in that sense, it's uh, highly disinflationary at some point, and I think it will boost productivity at some point. The question is, is when, right? The question is, is when? And, you know, if I, if I put my 400 years lens on, absolutely. If I put my next three years on, I'm not sure, mm. right? Because um, we saw this with the internet, right? The internet, we're here courtesy of the internet. Everything that we do these days is utterly transformed because of the internet. The iPhone's a function of the internet, right? It was all a function of that money that was pumped in heading into the dot-com bubble from, you know, 1995 into 2000. Did you make money buying the stocks then? You know, did productivity hugely advance during that period? Absolutely, but they're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. So I absolutely concur. AI going to be transformative it is disinflationary but is that disinflationary wave going to hit in the next three months the next six months or the next three years and if it's the next three years then i personally am not 
even thinking about it really from an investment perspective, from a trading investment perspective right here, right now. And this is one of the things that comes up a lot, I know with you and Raul, is time frame. So I right. think the important thing that you just teased out there is that it's not that people necessarily disagree. It's just that if you're looking at a long-term narrative, which I'll remind everyone, that's what Raul does. And he'll say yep. that when he's talking to you. He tends to look at these big long-term pictures. You're focused on a shorter time frame. So it's not that recession recession does matter to you because yes. you are having to think about investments in the next year, as are your clients. So you mentioned you were sitting in Vail before. I know you're going to hold a summit there in September. And I imagine this, this exact issue, you're going to get a million questions about this because it's what we get asked about all the time. What, what's going on? What are you going to do in September? So, you know, uh, we've always had since we launched MI2, uh, you know, back in 2011, um, at the behest of some of my big clients at the time, um, really tried to set the business up with the focus of talking about the economics and, and you know, building the models and predicting where GDP is going to be or unemployment is going to be, but really with one clear objective, Maggie, to make money, right? There are lots of economists out there, lots of them are extremely good. I just struggle with the profession a little bit, right? Because it doesn't always make you money, right? And at the end of the day, that's why most people tune in, or at least make money, preserve wealth, however you want to, you know, couch that, uh, couch that, uh, that element. Uh, so we've had a bunch of people who've, we've always worked with since the sort of get go, and we're pulling those people together. So they're kind of our best friends, the people that we lean on, the people that we rely on, to give us sort of insights. And I think, you know, we're coming up to a hugely not only are we are we talking about uh you know these structural changes but we're coming up to some hugely important events in 2024 right we've got an enormous election we've got china us tension which continues to build with this whole movement around what are the BRICs doing are these guys trying to set up some sort of alternative currency are they really challenging the dollar and all of these factors I truly think can be transformative. And if you get them wrong, mm. right, you will lose money, right? There is a scenario, for example, where just like we saw post 2000, from 2002 really to 2008, everything's going fine in the US, but the US dollar is just falling because let's say the BRICS have come up with an alternative currency, right? And it won't matter in my mind whether you're invested in NVIDIA and other things, other things will outperform, just like they did from 2002 to 2008. The US equity market was the worst performing equity market just simply because the dollar went down, mm. right? So I think, you know, there's all these elements to come around. And so we're going to spend a day talking about geopolitics, uh, macro, structural changes going on in the economy. And then we're going to spend a day with people that we truly respect talking about how to make money and not just the next trade, which I do and Raul does, but also with people who I think have proved really, really good at managing portfolios, portfolios that 90% of the people listening to this podcast will be most interested in. Mm. What do I do with my 401k? What do I do with- well, we know, get asked all the 60, time. 60, <laughs> 60, 40, right? These are the guys that I really, have liked and, and we've used to manage, for example, our pension fund, right? Because much as I might like to punt it, 
I can't punt the MI2 pension fund. You know, it has to be managed by proper managers. Thank <laughs> God. Um, <laughs> you know, so we're getting there. So it's really going to be about, I want, want people to walk away with truly, you know, a great time. It's a fantastic time of the year to be there, Maggie, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it it's, is. Uh, the first time I went to Vail was in the fall, actually. Right. Believe it or not, my right. brother lived there, unrelated to skiing, true story. Yeah. And um, we went in the fall and it was spectacular. Yeah, it is. 75 degrees, 45 at night, no humidity, no bugs, and beautiful trees, right? The fall is just stunning. It's, we picked the peak week. Um, and there's a ton of stuff for your partners to go to. So you can kind of win. This could be your first, I think. You could go to something that's geeky and annoying for your partner as, as, a, as a macro summit. And they may actually enjoy it. And you'll win brownie and points. Back. <laughs> and you'll win brownie points, not lose them. <laughs> Um, and then we exactly, and then um, you know more than that. I think uh, I think I hope that people walk away with some really concrete ideas about how to make money and protect their wealth. Well, I'm glad you're doing it because I think right now it's so important because it's a it seems like it's a very challenging environment. And I'm going to read a question in just a moment that I think underscores the kind of frustration that people right. feel. But I suspect you macro guys live for this because it was dead right. boring for a while when stocks went up, interest rates were low and nothing happened. Right. But now it's a sort of complicated cross currents and it's hard. It's hard if you yeah. haven't been in that environment in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's extraordinarily tough. I mean, I, yes, you're right. Us macro boys are sort of bang, bang, bang. You know, Volvo zero, nothing happened. And, you know, it, it, in a way, this was always one of the big, fights that Raoul and I used to have, right? You know, and it, it was always, it was a timing thing once again. So Raoul would say rightly, you know, economic weakness, and we know what will happen, right? These central banks will ease. And I still kind of believe that, right? But the point is, as I always said, that the big problems really start when we get strength. When you get that strength and you get that inflation, and you get that excess growth, and you get unemployment too low, then the central banks can't be there to help you out. Mm. And that's when you start to get problems. That's when you really start to see, you know, how robust are some of these firms that have lived off zero interest rates forever, right? Right. And we're seeing that clearly, you know, in partly this sectoral dispersion that we're seeing in equities, we're seeing that, that, is, that they're not nearly as robust, right? I suspect by the time this is gone, we all know the commercial real estate story is, is awful. And the longer that we stay at 5% interest rates, which is certainly the Fed's plan, this higher for longer policy, the more structural damage we're going to do to a whole bunch of these things. So, yes, it becomes tougher. I'm sorry, it becomes tougher. And in the world that I sort of, if I connect my dots going out five years, it ain't going to get easier. It's going to get a lot tougher. The easy money has been made. Now mm. is, is wealth preservation. And if you can make money in the next five years, well done. If you can keep what you got, that's going to be challenging enough. Yeah. And, and it's important to do that. So I want to read this question um, for, for info on all that, by the way, I think Brian's yep. populating our, our stuff. So how you can find out um, about Julian's event. Um, but this is this is really interesting. I'm going to stretch this a couple more minutes so that we we get this in. And this is, I think, 
what's frustrating for people, Alberto saying, if bonds have been a terrible trade and the equity market is supposed to drop, then what is the trade? It's very frustrating listening to the gloom narrative and missing the trades. This is the problem if people don't know what to do. So look, it goes back to this fundamental problem that um, macro does, you know, the bond market has been somewhat rational, right? If you look at the inversion in the, in the bond market, you know, it is a rational response function to tightening conditions, tightening uh, interest rates from the Fed, uh, because the bond market's looking out and going, okay, I think long-term, you're going to cause the recession, you're going to get inflation back down, right? So that is logical. What's not so logical is when you look at equity indexes, right? If you look under the under the surface and you look at the relative performance of, you know, Fangs versus the Russell, you can kind of see a pretty recessionary type price action. The problem is, is that the broad equity market, the broad index market cap is or has been recently purely a function of the liquidity in the system. And the liquidity in the system, as I said, when SVB went down, what did the Fed do? They put more money in the system, <laughs> right? The Treasury ran down their checking account. They essentially put more money in the system. So the Fed has been desperately trying for the last year to drain cash out well, I started really in, in uh, December of, uh, of 2021, so for the last sort of 18 months. But for the last year, they haven't managed to draw any liquidity out of the system because of what these other factors have done, because the TGA ran down, because they had to boost liquidity to help the banks post-SVB, right? So now we're in this quite interesting point that some of those other factors are going away. And will we see ongoing QT start to drain liquidity out of the system. I think if that is the case, you're going to start to see what would be perceived as recessionary price action in the equities. But it's really not that, Maggie, right? Under the surface, you can see that recessionary price action in the system. Equity markets, the broad market cap of the US is not priced off fundamentals. It's purely liquidity. And if you doubt me, guys, just think back to COVID. We wrote a piece in March of 2020 when we said, forget the fundamentals. And the fundamentals back then were, Maggie, we're all going to die, remember? Yeah. Right? It wasn't just, I do remember. we're all going to die, right? We're all going to die. And just follow the liquidity and buy the equity market, right? This is not about fundamentals. Yes. One firm does better than another firm. That's fundamental. But what about stocks Stocks versus bonds? Because I think that based on what you're saying, you're bearish, you think trouble's coming for equities because it's going to have to if the Fed wants to get inflation under control. But then bonds seem volatile or potentially a bad trade too. Right. I think that's what no, got so, Alberto twisted right. up. So cash, so, money market? No, so, no, no, no. I mean, here's the thing. Bonds, bonds are actually acting quite logically, right? So as I said, the curve is inverted. That bit is very logical. We're just sticking with this very hawkish Fed perception, right? So two-year yields are basically a function of what the Fed tells you they're going to do. Now, there is actually where I will say the bond market could be wrong, and this actually would be 
bad news for the real economy. It may not be, it'd be bad news for certain companies within the equity market is if this equity market doesn't back off and we keep getting strong data, um, then these rate cuts, remember we're pricing in humongous rate cuts, right? We're pricing in basically. They pushed it out though, right? When 575, they Maggie, right? Is the top ish 550, 575. And then December of 2024, we're going to be, so 18 months from now, we're going to be at four. How do you get that without a swinging recession and an equity market meltdown? Yeah. So, right here, right now, if you want to trade, you probably want to be short bonds and short stocks because one of those has to give. Right? And you just sit there and you play that ratio. And in fact, it goes back to what one of my clients said to me on my last trip to London a couple of months ago. He said, I'm standing on the top of the Eiger and it's an unpleasant place to be because the wind is whipping. And I have a bias as to which way this economy is going to go. But every time I kind of lean too far, I get pushed the other way and it hurts. And so I'm just going to sit here. And I'm going to try and run these trades, which are relative value, not too directional. And then when I see which way it's really going, I'm going to lift a leg and I'm going to punch this thing hard. Mm. And that's what a lot of the macro guys are trying to be done because you keep getting this, oh, you know, look, look, I said manufacturing is horrible. Manufacturing is in recession. Jesus, how many jobs did we create? Right. Yeah. I mean, just, we keep doing this boom, 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 boom. Yeah. People have gotten People have gotten beat up trying to, the timing yeah. has been really tough. Okay, so speaking of timing, we're past the half hour mark, but it was very important to get that in. Uh, so we are going to uh, shift over to members only, but we hope you'll all come with us. So hit that QR code, get your questions ready, come join our tribe of learners. Uh, we hope we see you on the other side. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Crane Shares. Learn about their KRBN ETF at craneshares.com forward slash K-R-B-N.